Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Today I want to talk to you about the powerful transformation that can happen in our life when we go from thankfulness to thanksgiving. Thankfulness to thanksgiving. I want to talk to you about what it means to be thankful as a people and then take action through that thankful heart. Amen? You know, there's something really powerful about practicing thanksgiving and gratitude. Research has shown that practicing gratitude boosts the immune system, bolsters resilience to stress, lowers depression, increases feelings of energy, determination, and strength, and even helps you sleep better at night. Isn't that amazing? In fact, few things have been more repeatedly and empirically vetted and studied than the connection between gratitude and overall happiness and well-being. In a survey done by Kaplan, and I don't know who Kaplan is, she found that while more than 90% of people think gratitude makes you happier and gives you a more fulfilled life, less than half regularly express gratitude. And so we have this day every year called Thanksgiving. And I think that Thanksgiving is really good for us because it causes us to stop and to ask ourselves the question, what am I thankful for? And you know, I had a little epiphany. And one of the things about preparing a sermon that's really profound is that um, a lot of times when you're preparing a sermon, it kicks your butt before it kicks everyone else's. Right? As you study scripture and as you begin to look at things and read things and read illustrations and read what other people have said about the topic, the subject, the text that you're looking into, one of the things that happens to you is you realize, oh, this is talking to me. It always starts with me. And I was preparing my message and I was looking back over my message last night and I, I was just like, man, you haven't been very grateful lately, Doug. You've been kind of murmuring. You've been kind of grumble, grumble, grumbling. You've been kind of whining. Well, I don't understand why. Right? And maybe with good reason, but nevertheless, you've been doing a lot more of that and a lot less of, God, I want to thank you. Wife, she's not here right now. I want to thank you. I'm grateful for you. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do, and here's specifically what I appreciate. Here's specifically what I love about you. Here's specifically why you're important to me, right? And, and I was challenged. And so I'm going to challenge you a little bit, but I think you're going to be really encouraged too. So, so think about this. Thankfulness is the natural outflow of a heart that sees things accurately. Thankful people recognize where all they have or are comes from. Thankful people have been filled, so they return thanks to God who fills them. Thankfulness leads to thanksgiving. We are a people who are full. God has filled our lives with his love. Can somebody say amen? His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. How many of you are glad you're forgiven? Come on, think about it. And his many, many gifts. We are thankful and we must give away what has been poured into us. Thankful people are compelled to engage in thanksgiving. 
out of our fullness, we give back to God by giving his gospel and his love to people and to his purpose. However, it's a battle to stay thankful. How many of you have ever experienced that? It's tough to maintain perspective, right? And, and the problem is that battle, if we're not careful, can lead to the disease of a cynical and critical heart. And you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've been that person or maybe you've been around people who are critical and cynical. And when you rub up next to them and spend a little time with them, after you go away, you feel like you got something on you. You know what I mean? It's like they can't see anything right with the world, with people. Every motive is judged. There's always a doubt. There's always something nefarious behind that person's eyes and what they're up to. And they look at the whole world that way. And it's a bummer to be around people like that because, because it's sad. It's poison. It's a bitter root. And it'll defile many. And the only way to break that, and I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of things in life that can make you that way, that can break you, that can make you a cynical and a critical person. And what I want to do today is talk about some of those things and, and show you the answer, show you how we get healed. And the way we get healed is to engage in thankfulness that turns into thanksgiving, gets us outside of ourselves. Am I talking to anybody? Now, I want to take you to a text in Romans chapter 1, and let me give you a little bit of background. I, I share with you often that it's important when we read the text to read it in the context, right? So we read the text in the context. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing Christians in Rome, and he's going to walk them through a journey where he shows them that all human beings are unrighteous, that every human being that's ever been born, Gentiles who are non-Jewish people who don't believe in God, Yahweh, and Jews who believe in Yahweh and have the law, how all of them have departed from God and none of them stand right before God. And so God had to act and God's action was to send his son who is perfectly righteous and perfectly pure. And in that righteousness, Jesus took the fall for us went and, and, and died in our place, took the judgment we deserved, fulfilled true and perfect justice, and made us right with God. And in now making us right with God, he then ends the book, the letter, by saying, because you're right with God, this is how you live. Okay, and in the first chapter, he's talking about what's known as the Gentile world, the unbelieving world, and he's walking them through the process of how the unbelieving world departed from God and went into darkness, and he's talking to all of us. Okay, so this is the journey. This is what happens. This is the human heart, and in verse 21, he says this. He says, for although they knew God, interesting concept, although they knew God, and if you read the rest of it, this is, what, this is the conclusion you come to in the first few chapters. God has made himself known in creation, in the human conscience, and in our desire for right and wrong. The very fact that we want the world to be right, and when we see evil and an injustice, we inherently know it, is an evidence of God because he's the great lawgiver, and he's completely righteous, and he's etched on the human heart our need for things to be right and good. Okay, so he says this here in, the verse, in verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish 
hearts were darkened. So look at the progression. They knew God. They didn't honor Him or thank Him as God. They became futile, right, in their thinking, futile, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Their, their thinking became meaningless, became, their, their thinking didn't lead anywhere, healthy or good. Their thinking was empty, okay? They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See the progression? And when a person doesn't honor God and thank God, futility, foolishness, and darkness enters their mind and heart, and they begin to act out in sinful and unbelieving ways. And this is the progression of humanity apart from Christ. This is where we go. If we don't have Jesus Christ intervene and save us from ourselves and from our sin, this is what we do as human beings. This is where we go. And I think it's really interesting that in that equation is the lack of a thankful heart. And so let's, let's talk about what are the things that lead to a lack of a thankful heart? First one I have here is disappointment with how your hopes, dreams, and life seem to be turning out. How your hopes, dreams, and life. How many of you know that after you live a little while, right, usually, you know, you, you get in your 20s and you have these, these dreams, these hopes, you think this is how the world's going to go, you've got it figured out, right, and, and then stuff happens. You face a difficult relationship. You, you lose somebody that you're close to and that you love, a series of events happen. You work for a really bad boss. Uh, stuff happens to you in life and you end up disappointed and you find yourself saying things like, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't sign up for this. My dreams and my hopes were so different. How many of you have ever said, thought, or felt those things? And the rest of you are liars. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, disappointment with the people in our daily lives. Spouses, leaders, pastors, bosses, people disappoint us, right? You get married. You know, isn't it, isn't it a blissful, wonderful thing that God makes us a little bit blind? Actually, I like what Timothy Keller says. He doesn't make us blind. Love actually causes us to see the best in people, see what they truly can be. See, love isn't blind. Love opens your eyes to see the potential of what that person can be. But then what happens is you get into marriage and the difficulties start to come and you start having to work through your issues and that person doesn't see it like you see it. And before you know it, you're disappointed in your spouse and you want them to be everything for you. I remember there was a point in my marriage to Peggy when I had to confess to her, I've been looking to you to fulfill things in me that only God could fulfill. And I'm sorry, hon, because I've put a weight on you, a pressure on you that's impossible for you to fulfill. And I had to tell my own wife, and she said the same thing to me, I've been disappointed in you. But that disappointment was because I had unrealistic expectations crushing expectations you could never fulfill. And now, boop, bubbles popped, and I got to deal with it. And the problem isn't you, it's me, right? Leaders, pastors, listen, you hang around here long enough? One of us or all of us are going to let you down. And while some of us are singing a Beatles song, don't let me down, you're going to find out you're going to get let down. We're going to let you down. We're going to disappoint you. And it's good. You need to be let down. You need to be disappointed. People need to have, believe it or not, it's good sometimes that our heroes fail or fall or don't live up to everything we want them to. Because otherwise, 
We'll look to our leaders. Be everything for me. We'll pedestal people. We'll make idols of people. And God will come right along and go, no. Ain't no idol going to displace me. Right? Those who trust in man are cursed. Put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in Jesus so you won't be disappointed. Because you will be disappointed. Let me just tell you, once again, you hang around our church for a while and you're going to start to see our problems. And then you get to grow up. No, seriously, you don't get to keep going, well, you know, I just want the preaching to be good every week and I just want the music to always be good and the kids' church to be wonderful and the coffee better be good. I want every, it's all about me. Right? We, we think that way when we're young, when we're children. Children are self-absorbed. They want everything to be about them, and they pull everything into the vortex of self, and it's okay for a season, but there comes a time in life when you've got to grow up, and you've got to realize it's not all about you, and the reason that God put you with people is to rub up next to you and offend you and make you have to forgive and love and get over yourself and get over your issues and get over your past. Church is a laboratory, like marriage is a laboratory, like friendships are a laboratory. It's a laboratory where you learn to love and forgive people that offend you and are difficult to be around. That's why it's so good for you to get your illusions popped and to be disillusioned so you can turn to Jesus and say, help! I thought it was a great point. (laughs) Disappointment with public figures like politicians, athletes, and artists. It's always interesting when you read the story of, you know, people always say, (coughs) don't meet your heroes because as soon as you do, it's over, (laughs) right? It's good. It's okay. How about the constant input we receive from the media that is dark and negative? I mean, listen, if you want to bathe in the constant vomit of the culture and then you wonder why that stink is on you, right, I want you to think about it. There's a pipeline of vile filth coming out constantly in this culture from not just the mainstream media, but from alternate sources of media. And it doesn't care about you. I'm not suggesting ignorance. I'm not suggesting we hide our heads in the sand, but I'm telling you something. I see the fruit of what's coming out of a lot of people's lives, and it's not Christ-like, and it doesn't smell like the Rose of Sharon. It smells like garbage. And so we have to ask ourselves, how often are we bathing? Did you know that there's another news narrative going on on our planet? You'll never hear it on CNN or Fox or any of them, World Net Daily or whatever your thing is. Do you know what it is? God is moving on planet Earth. There's an outpouring of the Spirit that's moving over Asia and South America. There are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people a year coming to faith in Jesus Christ. People are being healed. People are being raised from the dead. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lost are being found, relationships are being reconciled. God is on the move on planet earth and it never gets recorded or reported. And so, where are we getting our sources, right? How about the personal struggle each of us have with sin, addictive behaviors, and our own personal character flaws? Have you ever let yourself down? Every day. Thank you, Candace. 
I'm feeling your pain, sister. King David talks about in the book of Psalms, he talks about his iniquities, his sin. It was like something wrapped around his leg that was pulling him down. And he constantly, you see this throughout the book of Psalms, he's constantly crying out to God to deliver him from not just his enemies, but from himself. He's saying, I'm a mess. Help. One of the greatest prayers of the Bible, help. Deliver me. Rescue me. My iniquities have wrapped themselves around my leg. They're pulling me down. Oh, God, deliver me over and over and over again. How about personal and or family tragedies, losses, and deaths? If you've ever gone through someone close to you passing away or experiencing a terrible tragedy that altered their life and your life and you're living with it now, just the pain of living with it, you know that it does something to you. It, it causes you to walk with a limp. Sometimes it messes you up. Sometimes it takes months or years to really kind of recover from that stuff. It really messes with you. And if you're not careful, that, that thing called bitterness will wrap itself around your heart and you'll become bitter and cynical of the world and everything will take on a dark hue. And listen, even though you may be there for a while, God will walk with you through it and he'll bring you out of it. But I, I, can I just appeal to you? Run to him, not from him. He's your healer, right? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Cece. I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. How about bad theology or wrong beliefs about God? A lot of us don't realize it. I, I look back on the theology I had 15 years ago in some areas, and I'm like, dude, that was wrong. You were messed up. What were you thinking? Let me give you a couple examples. How about this one? God takes pleasure in my suffering and pain. Some people have this idea that, you know, there's almost like God is out there. <laughs> All right, they lost their job. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, their, their marriage is going through a hard time. Boom. Gotcha. You should have been better. I'm doing this to you because you're a bad kid. Whack. Right? We have this idea about God. We got a the the theology that says that somehow God's out there taking pleasure in our pain and our suffering and our difficulties. But then there's this other theology, and that is that God wants me to have a pain-free life of prosperity. And that if you say the right things, you confess the right things, and you live perfectly the right way, you'll never suffer, you'll never experience pain, nobody will ever get sick, nobody will ever die in your life. And how many of you know that if I could drop a cuss word that started with the letter B and S, I would say it right here. That is what that theology is. That is bull. It is bull. It is a lie. It is not true. You can't live on a fallen planet with fallen people and the reality of evil around you every day and not deal with darkness and pain and go through suffering and even some of the suffering is going to be brought up from yourself. But some of it, listen... It's not going to, see, here's part of the bad theology. So if I suffer, it must be because I did something wrong. I didn't confess perfectly. I didn't do everything just right. No, sometimes you suffer just because you live down here in a painful world. And suffering is a part of being human. Amen. I still have friends in the room. How about the fact that cynicism and criticism all often result in a person viewing themselves as, as a victim and expecting a life of entitlement? 
That's the other thing that's sad. You start going along in, a, in, in cynicism and being critical, and before you know it, everybody is always disappointing you, letting you down. The cynical and critical people begin to feel as if everyone owes them something. Consequently, they set themselves up for constant disappointment. In his article, The Structure of Gratitude, New York Times columnist David Brooks notices what he's learning about thankfulness. Listen to this. I'm sometimes grumpier when I stay at a nice hotel. I have certain expectation about the, expectations about the service that's going to be provided. I get impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet, if the shower controls are too complex to figure out, if the place considers itself too fancy to put a coffee machine in each room. I'm sometimes happier at a budget motel where my expectations are lower and where a functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. This little phenomenon shows how powerfully expectations structure our moods and emotions, none more so than the beautiful emotion of gratitude. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations, when it's undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. Isn't that true? You see, we live in a country and a world and a time when we have so many choices and we've learned that we can customize every desire. We are learning to be consumers who want specific little things to be exactly as we desire them to be. And so what happens is more and more our expectations get up here, right? And let me think about it. If you have streaming devices and you're into streaming, I mean, and you want to watch a movie, where do you go? Gosh, is it on Netflix? Is it on Apple TV? Is it on Disney Plus? Is it on HBO Max? Is it, and you can go down a list and you're like, and, and then you start to go through to put something in your queue and there are thousands and, and my wife makes fun of me. I, I can't make a decision sometimes. Anybody else like that? I am that guy that is a masterful I'm just like an expert at scrolling and putting stuff in my queue. I probably have 400 shows and movies in my various queues that I never watch. I could spend an entire evening. We're going to watch a movie tonight. Okay, Doug, pick something. An hour and a half later, well, I guess we're not watching anything. Why? Because we expect so much. The good thing is I don't watch as much TV as I just scroll. Okay. So what's God's design? How do we get out of that disease? God's design is that our lives overflow with thanksgiving. I want you to notice this text, and I want you to notice Paul's metaphor. And we're going to look at a tree. We're going to look at a house. We're going to look at weightlifting, and we're going to look at a river. Okay, Colossians 2, 7. Look at this with me. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So I want you to see Paul talks here about our roots being built, growing, and overflowing. So the first one, rooted. If your roots grow down into Christ, we're called to cultivate 
a rooted life with Jesus on a day-to-day basis. Amen? To be rooted in Christ is to recognize the organic union your life has with him. You are planted in him, and he is your daily source for all that is good, holy, beautiful, and right. Daily meetings with him and ongoing conversations that that invite him into your moments result in a rooted life. You see, Paul said, there is nothing good within me. That is in my flesh, his carnal nature. Then he turned around and he made it very clear that everything good that came out of him was the result of Christ. He even said of himself, I died, right? I've been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So what's he saying? There was an exchange life when you became a Christian. When you became a follower of Jesus, the old life died and was cut away from you and a new life was planted in you and you were planted in that new life. So any life, any good thing that comes out of you, any Christ-like character, any good work, all of it is the nature of Jesus because you're rooted in him. And that rootedness can become more a part of your thinking in your day-to-day life as you continually turn your heart toward him and just converse with him and talk with him and spend time with him. Root your life in him, and you'll see beautiful fruit grow out of that. And then he says, you're built. Your life is built in him. The metaphor of a house is used to encourage us to build our lives on him. Houses are more structural in nature. There's a need in us to be intentional and to structure our lives in such a way as to let Christ build us up and be more like him. Right, So we have, to, we have our part to play in building our life in Jesus, seeing our life like a house and asking, what are we, what, what's our foundation? It's Christ. What are our walls? What are our windows? What's our load bearing? Right? What is going on? What are the beams that are keeping this structure solid so the roof doesn't cave in on it? What are we building our life around? And if we recognize that we need Jesus every day, he's our structure, amen? Come on, are you staying with me here? Okay, and then you're growing. Your faith will grow strong in the truth you're taught. Did you know your faith can grow stronger? When we're rooted in building, our faith grows in the truths we're being taught. This requires a teachable, humble, hungry heart for the truth of God's word. Growing faith is always linked with increasing truth. So as you get closer and you get to know him more and you discover more of who he is, your faith grows and you become stronger. And lastly, and this is what I really want us to see, is your life will be overflowing. You'll overflow with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an overflow of a life of faith that's rooted and building and growing in Jesus Christ. Christ is at work in your life. He has done and is doing so very much. As your life and faith grows, thanksgiving becomes the natural overflow. And that's what comes out of our life. And, and how, do you, how do you practice that? How do you get into a life of thanksgiving? You sing, right? You sing and praise God in songs of praise and worship. You want to know why we sing songs here? First of all, because it's just an overflow of our love for God. When we gather together, we're singing to him because he's worthy, because he's God, because he's holy, because he's almighty, because he's good, he's wise, he's powerful, right? He's righteous, he's pure, 
He's all of those things, and we see him and worship, and we worship him. But here's the other reason. It's here that we learn to practice thanksgiving. The reason we sing to him is we are declaring to him those things that he has done for us, and we're saying thank you, we praise you, we love you because you've been good, and I'm a recipient of that goodness. And we give our time, our talents, and our treasures for his mission. You know, over and over in the Bible, you see people that were changed by Jesus, rocked by God, and what's the first thing they did? They turned around and they said, what can I do? How can I serve? How can I give? And over and over, that pattern is repeated in the Gospels. People encounter Jesus, and they turn to him and say, I want to follow you, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. What do you want me to do? Why? Because when a heart has been wrecked by grace and by mercy and love and has seen the beauty of Jesus, that heart wants to give back. Just saying, and by serving others after God touches us. You know, there's this beautiful story. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed with a fever and all these people are gathering at Simon Peter's house and they're all sick and they need a healing touch from Jesus and they, they just need God, right? And, and Peter says, hey, my mother-in-law's in bed sick with a fever and the Bible says Jesus goes in and touches her and heals her and she gets up and it says she gets up and she served them. Right? So that's what happens when we've been touched. We serve. And then lastly, by telling others what he's done for us. By telling others what he's done for us. There's a story of a man who had demons, many demons, a legion of demons. And Jesus cast those demons out of him. And he was set free and healed and restored. And he was in his right mind. And it says in Luke 8, 39, Jesus turned to him and said, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And that's the last way we learn to practice gratitude and thanksgiving. We tell people what God's done for us, right? How, when's the last time you told somebody about what God's done for you? When's the last time you made a big deal about Jesus? When's the last time you said, I want him to be famous, so I'm going to make him known to everybody I know? Tell somebody. How many of you recognize, a little bit of assessment time, you're sitting here today, you're listening, listening to the message, and you realize, I haven't been very grateful or thankful lately. You don't have to confess it. If you want to raise your hand, you can, but just raise it, raise it inside. Right? Some of you are like, Wah. right? You recognize, I haven't been very thankful. I haven't been very grateful. Maybe you, you notice you've been complaining and whining and groaning and moaning. Here's the way you overcome that. Start to practice telling others, serving others. Thanks, give. First, get thankful. Start to assess your life. Oh, I'm so thankful for what God's done for me. And I can name this and this and this and this. How many of you know just the fact that right now you're, you're taking in breath and your heart's beating? Right? The fact that I think most of us, if not all of us in this room, can get up and walk. What a miracle. Amen?